1: There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.
2: Hey, welcome back to See Also. It's Kate Jinks here. Brody and I are taking a little break this week, but given that it's Halloween season, we thought it was the perfect time to revisit one of our earlier episodes where we take a stab, I am so sorry for that, at what we're calling the Scream Trilogy, you know, the first three films. But we also have a watch also for you. Actually, it's a witch also, really, but we'd love you to revisit Suspiria, both the 1977 Dario Argento film and the 2018 Luca Guadagnino version, because we've got a special Toy Poodle episode coming up in a few weeks dedicated to them. And this time of year is always perfect to commune with the mother of size. If you've seen it, you'll know, you'll know. All right, let's get into it. Let's head to Woodsboro. Enjoy.
3: I'm Brodie Lancaster
2: and I'm Kate Jinks and welcome to one of our Toy Poodle episodes. This is a special episode that we've been doing every so often where we take a really deep dive into Something we love or something that really interests us and we thought that for Halloween or as Alexi Toliopoulos, our recent guest, loved to say, the spooky season which is upon us, we should do a special Halloween series uh, of a favourite franchise
3: of ours, particularly yours, BL. Yes, truly one of my favourite films of all time are the films we're talking about today Wes Craven's Scream trilogy and I say they're my favorite movie because I can't distinguish one from the other I love all three of them equally and I love the story that they tell and I love Nev Campbell I do too but I feel
2: slightly differently about the trilogy uh which I think we will probably get
3: into I love them but some more than others shall we say but yeah, when we, when you and I were talking about doing a Halloween special, I started thinking about like Halloween movies, you know, movies that take place in October with pumpkins, etc. But that genre, just the door to it opens real wide when you take in every kind of like horror, slasher, thriller, I'm, I'm just listing genres now. I love, I love a slasher. I love a real world movie where teens get murdered or adults me too um i mean look halloween gives us so many
2: joyful experiences in cinema and you can go drama if you want for halloween you can watch like the skeleton twins some great halloween scenes there <laughs> <laughs>
3: Don't watch the Skeleton twins or
2: <laughs> I why not? It's a good film. Uh, you could watch ET some great Halloween scenes there.
3: Anything with a costume constitutes a Halloween movie. The prom scene in Never Been Kissed. That's oh. a Halloween movie. I've God that's a been. I don't think I've seen that since it came out. All right, well, mental note, putting that on the board for down the line. Is that what I'm watching on Halloween night? (laughs) Yeah, maybe. I'll come over. All right, well, speaking of never being kissed, that brings us to Drew Barrymore, and that is where the Scream trilogy opens. Casey Becker is taunted on the phone while making popcorn after killing her boyfriend and then, tragically, her, the masked killer with a love of scary movies, turns on the sleepy California wine country town of Woodsboro, He begins by attacking Sidney Prescott, our Sid, our final girl. Spoiler. After fending off the killers in Kevin Williamson's original Scream, he and director Wes Craven returned the following year, 1997, as Sidney tried to get on with her life as a normal college student. Ghosts from her past and fans of the horror movie her life had become have other ideas. Three years later, to close out her trilogy, we saw Sid as a recluse locking herself away from the world, and counselling women on the traumatic events she knows so well. Spoiler alert, even more ghosts from her past pop up in Scream 3 and she has to end her story once and for all in Hollywood.
2: <laughs> I mean, don't we all? You keep saying ghosts from her past, but shouldn't it be ghost faces from her past, Be Oh, Jinxie, you did it. <laughs> I did it, I went there. <laughs> I think also props to us for not starting this episode with do you like
3: scary movies? <laughs> It's a rhetorical question. Yes, of course. Of course, duh. We're talking about Scream. And I still genuinely find these movies very scary. Like, even after all these years, after dozens and dozens of watches, I think I saw the original, like, when it came out. So I was, like, seven years old. Jesus. Watching Scream. Like, we, you and I have talked before about how our parents didn't really put rules mm. around what we watched, but sometimes I think that you really should have. Yeah, I know. I got away
2: with murder, not literally as a child. Um I was imprisoned for that. No, I wasn't, sorry. Um <laughs> a little a little Michael Myers over here.
3: <laughs>
2: um but yeah, I, I saw this at the cinema when it came out and I loved it. But I you know I was sixteen by that point, which is a more reasonable age, I would say.
3: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I just remember I have a, a vivid like photographic memory of the house that my family lived in when I first saw this film. And in our bathroom, we just had a really tiny window, like up very high near the ceiling. And I remember being like a little kid brushing my teeth and like staring at the ground because I had convinced myself that if I looked up at the window, Ghostface's mask would be there like waiting for me. And so for the three years after that, I like never looked out the bathroom window because I was just convinced that he was around every corner, but it didn't traumatize me question mark i don't think it did i don't know jury's out b <laughs>
2: you did come over to my place recently and uh point out exactly how i could evade uh ghost face should there be a serial killer in my home so you have a scream door yeah can you explain the concept of a scream door please
3: well yes yeah. so in the first scream um a very significant plot point that establishes itself very early when billy loomis aka skeet ulrich Climbs in uh, Sydney's window to look at her boobs. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? Her dad comes to open her bedroom door, and but she has her closet door open. And it's like a little design floor, I guess, where when her closet door is open, you can't open her bedroom door. And this comes back later when the killer is chasing her up the stairs through her house and she opens the closet door to keep him out. And that's how I think that was Stu doing the chasing in that scene, by the way, because Billy knew (laughs) about the door. Um, But I, in my apartment, I have two of these. When my wardrobe door is is open, you can't come into my bedroom. And when my laundry door is open, you can't come in my front door. And I reveal to you that the same is true of your bathroom and front doors. So don't even try to rob us or murder us because we know the tricks. We know
2: the tricks, yeah. I was like, I've got a panic room. I never knew (laughs) that wasn't on the listing. Okay, we need to talk, Nev. Very, you know, we need to yes take a lot of time to talk about our Nev. But she was also, I think, we need to point out she was also in the craft that year. And I was way more about the craft in nineteen ninety six, and to be fair, in twenty twenty two, than I was about. Scream. Mm-hmm. But I loved that she was showing her range, uh, in those two
3: teen <laughs> horror films. Skeet Ulrich got a little typecast in those two. Yeah, he did. He's a bad boy. He's a horny bad boy. But yeah, she had, she had done a few movies in Canada by that point, And I think one season of Party of Five. And I was reading a, um, like an oral history of Scream that I might mention a little bit as we talk through the, um, the three films, but The Ringer did an oral history on the first film, Uh, last year or the year before and the casting director said that um when they were searching for their sydney it was down to three actresses nev campbell Brittany murphy rip and alicia witt whose name was not familiar to me i love alicia witt well i googled her and i was like oh my god she's the girl with the stapler in two weeks notice Yes, she is yes, she is
2: she's many things including
3: that. What else what Um, else has she been in that you love?
2: I think the first thing I saw her in was Fun, which uh is about two best friends, teen girls, who uh kill someone and it's like their kind of shared hysteria and then incarceration. Um But I was really, really obsessed with that film when it came out. It was like 1994. I remember getting that VHS a lot from my local video store,
3: Stan the Video Man. Shout out, Stan the Video Man. Shout out. So, right. So it would have made sense, like, right after that, that she would have been up for a role like this. Yeah,
2: she was playing, like, she was in, um, like, much later, but she was also in... Uh, John Waters, Cecil B. DeMented. She was. She had a great character uh, in that. But she was in like mm-hmm. the TV show Sybil and um, Citizen Ruth as well. But she's like she's made heaps and heaps of films. But I think she's one of those actors
3: that you might not remember
2: or you mm-hmm. might not know. Yeah,
3: who someone like me just thinks of as the girl in the stapler who like fights <laughs> with Sandra Bullock. I mean, fair. That's fair. Um, so apparently Drew Barrymore was up for the role of Sydney. They kind of wanted her for it. She um you know, I've spoken to you off mic quite a lot about Drew Barrymore's talk show. I think it's an absolute horror show <laughs> and not mm-hmm. like scream. But um one she to watch did... for Halloween, BL or? <laughs> yeah, watch the archives of the the very long clip on Drew Barrymore's talk show's YouTube channel where she drives around LA and points out the places where she like lived when she was an addict. It's a very very strange daytime talk show. Um, Anyway, she did an episode last year where it must have been peak COVID because they were filming, like, on the panel desk in the middle of a park in LA. And she was with Ross Matthews, who I guess is, like, a correspondent on her show, and Danny Pellegrino, who hosts, like, reality TV recap podcast that I really love. And she was telling them all about... um, Scream it was right before Scream 5 was due to come out. Um and she said that she was almost like a silent producer of the original. She'd read the script, was attached to play Sydney, was just obsessed with it and really tried to like push it through, get it funding, etc. Um and she asked to play Casey. She wanted to do that kind of Janet Lee um trope where the most famous person in the cast who you assume is going to be your star, dies off early to show that, you know, all bets are off. Anyone can die in this. The the stakes are really high. Um, And I also loved in that interview, she gave the little tidbit that her wig, the famous, like, blonde Bob with the heavy fringe as she's making popcorn, um, she took a photo of Michelle Pfeiffer in Scarface to the wig maker, and that (laughs) was the reference. Apparently Bob Weinstein wanted her to look like to show more skin, but she famously wore that like big cable net cream jumper. I
2: mean, there's a, it's essentially a crop top when she's running. I mean, you know, (laughs) it's an iconic Halloween look, obviously. Truly. Can we zoom out a bit on Scream that it is, no matter how much, like how many times you've seen it, or You Know the Killer, et cetera. It is just so fun to watch. It had been a really long time since I had seen it. Like I've seen it, I've revisited it a number of times since it came out in 1996, but, yeah, wow, it was just such a good time. I think I'd forgotten what a good time the Scream
3: films, three notwithstanding, are. <laughs> yeah, it's really, like, Kevin Williamson really created this story that was equal parts like smart funny scary like the stakes were there like we said before but it's also just like so well paced it's so tight like i kind of was shocked re-watching it for this that by the time they get to the curfew party at Stu's house only half of the film's runtime has elapsed you spend half the film in this like final location where so much happens and It never, it never loses you. Everything matters. Like you believe the chemistry between Dewey and Gail. You believe, you know, the stakes for Sydney. You really care about Tatum. And like when she goes through that fucking doggy door, it's like heartbreaking. That's really, that's really hard. I felt, I really felt Mm. that one.
2: Um, what is also heartbreaking is that in the first scene in Sydney's bedroom, we see that she has an Indigo Girls poster up, and she's playing a straight woman uh, throughout the whole series, and that is the scariest thing to me.
3: Yeah, I mean, Sid Sid reads queer to me, <laughs> especially uh, by yeah. the third one.
2: A hundred percent. But she keeps, you know, falling for these deadbeat dudes, but she's listening to the Indigo Girls. <laughs> Maybe that's why she's so
3: sceptical of all the men in her life. Justice for Sid is what I'm (laughs) saying. I mean, truly justice for Sid. This entire film hinges on Nev Campbell's performance and she's just so incredible. Like, even... I know that Scream 3 is flawed, but I think that it really hinges on the fact that she's... You see how affected she is by everything that she's experienced. Like, by Scream 3... It feels like so much time has passed, but it's allegedly only been four years since the first killings. And she has gone from like this like grieving teenage girl who's lost her mother in the first one. In the second one, she is really on edge. Like she believes that like kind of bad things are just around the corner, but she also is trying to like live a normal life. She believes that the worst is over By the time that's proven wrong and in the third film, she's, like, at the very first sign of danger. She's got a fucking gun. She's got pepper spray. She's, like, wearing a bulletproof vest. She's, like, ready to go to war because of everything that she's experienced. And I think that, not to get too far ahead of myself, I think that's something that really lost me in the later sequels. Like, when they brought it back in 2011 for Scream 4, that was something that I just came away being, like, these teenagers didn't care about each other. Like, they saw their friends... Guts hanging out and like blood everywhere in their bedrooms for like no reason and they didn't seem to care. And I get that like disaffected teens are like a genre unto themselves, but there's disaffected and then there's like not human. They they like Sydney never felt like a character. She felt like a real person to me.
2: Yeah, I agree. And in fact, I have been saying to you, Well, I really liked Scream 4. I remember really enjoying it at the cinema. And so I rewatched that last night, even though we weren't planning to talk about it, just to, I don't know, just to do a a vibe check for myself on Scream 4. And the opening sequence is fantastic. It's really good. It's star-studded. It's funny. It's meta. It's what we all love about the Scream franchise. But, yeah, it is fully that. It's just, like, teens seeing their friends being, like, disemboweled
3: and then, like, reaching for the popcorn. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, I mean, I don't encourage anyone to see Scream 5. I truly hated it. Um, I thought it was just a terrible movie, but I realised after coming out of Scream 5 they were so fixated on, like, the teen of it all, and that's really... Um, defined everything post Scream 3 from the MTV TV show reboot Scream 4 and Scream 5, they've decided that this story is a teenage story, whereas to me it was always a story about Sydney, and as she grew older the story followed her. It's not like she was stuck in high school and we kept revisiting those years over and over, and it also felt really defined by technology. Like in the first Scream it's obviously landline phones and the occasional mobile phone and then when sydney types in 911 into her like dial up computer which is really strange by the second film and the third there's like caller id mobiles and like the voice changer software in the third that they have to like negotiate with but by the time we came into like you know the 2010s there's obviously social media and there's like electronic devices throughout the home and all of that stuff. And so it really felt like these films that were about how teenagers and technology deal with like horrifying events and they were no longer referencing horror movies. They were just referencing the scream movies, which Mm. was, I don't know. It's just, I love the scream movies clearly, but I don't need to see, you know, Riverdale stars talking about stew and billy 25 years later you know
2: yeah to draw a like tenuous bow here it reminds me of like i've sort of dropped off watching rupaul's drag race because in the earlier um episodes and series everyone like even if they were new queens they're le- like they would talk about like the legacy of drag queens and people outside of the dra- like ripple metaverse mm. but now like they're all just referencing a queen from two seasons ago and it's I don't know it's like yeah a drag race or a Boris happening at this point and I feel like that that's what happened with scream as well
3: that's such a good reference yeah it's like their pop culture becomes the thing that they're in <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And you're like, yeah. well, meta can only get you so far, babe. Yeah, and it doesn't feel meta anymore. It's almost like like I get that there are so many movies now. There's not like a monoculture in the way that like Halloween and Nightmare on Elm Street and all of that stuff was like the monoculture in the ni- 80s and 90s. But there's still like culture, you know? There's still mm. movies and like genre. Um, yeah, so it's it. it also feels kind of like... Murderinos, the movie, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah,
2: totally. I mentioned the craft before, and which is just Scream's 1996 style to me. Um, but Scream 1 does as well as Scream 2, for, for sure. But even like the opening title sequence, it's the same typography as the You Wouldn't Steal uh at the beginning of the VHS tapes, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like piracy font. It is the piracy font, yeah. I was like, I've seen this before. Uh, That was quite (laughs) exciting. But, yeah, the actual, like, fashion of the teenagers is interesting to me because it is not, it's not, like, clueless fashion. It's not, like, over the top or it doesn't feel overly stylized to me. It feels quite real um, Mm. that no one is except for Rose McGowan's character of Tatum, like she's sort of the fashion one at school. Uh, but she also looks kind of like an extra from Scooby-Doo. And I really like that they captured that 90s does 60s vibe that I was so into. But yeah, I, just re-watching this and seeing the fashions of it, it does really feel lived in or something like they did a really good job of it
3: totally it doesn't feel like as you were saying that I was realizing that so many teen films now and also you know in years past have really leaned into kind of uh subcultures or you know the teens had to look like their uh click or music taste or whatever whereas these were just you know you you kind of got the sense that they're not the most popular kids at school, but they're also not the least. They have a certain ranking on like the social hierarchy, but that's not what the film's about. So they just can look like, yeah, people. And Tatum looks like the girl who's just dying to leave her small town.
2: Yeah. And then by the time you get to a Scream 2, it's all about Portia de Rossi's dark eyebrows, you know, like it's <laughs> like there is like this marked jump between the kind of cool kids and like whether they exist because in Scream One it's like they're not really around. Or you don't really get a handle on them, but in the second film, you see the at like the hierarchy at work within the high school mm. in the in the college like the
3: sorority hierarchy. Oh yeah, sorry, yes. In the in the college. Portia Dorothy just her voice in this movie is so funny. She just there's this one moment and it feels like ADR where you just hear her go, Ha <laughs> <laughs> And it kills me every single time. It's so good. <laughs> Australian Queen Portia. But also like Sydney's attitude about the sorority also I think goes into our um Sydney's gay canon. Oh yeah, for sure. Also like her choices of
2: friends, um, and hanging out with these, like she's really hanging out with a lot of film bros. Like she's, this is film bro world 101, the scream, the scream metaverse.
3: Oh yeah. And Sydney, like in the first one, that first interaction she has with the killer on the phone, I kind of forgot what a little shit she was during that. Like she wasn't scared. She was really bold and you know, she's like picking her nose to be like, What am I doing? Can you see me? And she's like, I don't I hate those movies. It's just like blonde girls with big tits like running up the stairs when they should be running out the front door. And then of course she does exactly that a moment later. Um but she yeah, she gives off the vibe that she's like listened to Randy long enough. She's like been around enough film bros that she gets it, but she also you know, it's, it's not her entire personality like it is for them. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um,
2: I've just written in my notes, high beams. And I think that that is a reference to
3: Rose McGowan's like constant, uh, nipple visibility. Yeah. There's like a framing of her in the scene when she's about to die and she walks into the garage and she's shot kind of from below, I think. And all you see is just her like curvy body and her big round headlight boobs, um, and she does her you know like, please, Mister Ghostman, I want to be in the sequel, <laughs> but that moment where she realizes she's about to die and tries to like desperately crawl out of the dog door, I mean, I said it before, it's one of like the most devastating like brutal sequences in this movie where all that happens is, like, people get cut up.
2: That sequence really did stick with me, but I think the the sequence, even more than the Drew Barrymore um, death early on, it's the opening sequence of Scream 2. I feel like that has unfortunately stuck with me forever. It is truly terrifying and still very scary, the, like, lead into the Sydney story. So every Scream has... Something happened before the film starts. It's essentially like an episode of, you know, SVU where you see something take place. Or Six Feet Under. Or Six Feet Under or the L Word seasons like two to five or something when they had those terrible (laughs) flashbacks that I live for, let's face it. But in the opening of Scream 2, we have Jada Pinkett Smith and Omar Epps going to see a film which is STAB, which is based on what happened in the first Scream film. Based on
3: Gail's book about what happened in the first film. Uh,
2: yes, I should have said because Gail would be very mad that uh, <laughs> <laughs> that I left out her credit. <laughs> I gotta give Gail Weathers her credit where it's due. So these two characters, new characters, are going to see a film and while they're in the line they start talking about, well, Jada Pinkett Smith's character starts talking mostly about how it's such a like white genre and starts like dissecting the racial politics of horror films, which is so great. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. the whole series doesn't do much else with that apart from that one excellent like
3: little bit of dialogue and it really could have but chose not to. Anyway, yeah, the single black characters in that film and, and Scream 3 do do get taken out pretty Oh, relatively early.
2: Yeah, and they do like a lot of heavy lifting and they're like, let's have these tough conversations and make them fun at the same time. Mm. And then they're killed. Mm-hmm.
0: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus...
1: Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com.
2: Let's get this dinner party started. Um but yeah, so they go to see Stab and then Oh, my God. I can barely talk about it. It's so
3: awful. It's horrifying. Like, that... It it remains one of the scariest and saddest. Like, it really is affecting that scene when, you know, her boyfriend gets stabbed in the bathroom, <sighs> but she has already seen him wearing this the ghost face mask that the studio's got everyone in the cinema wearing. They're all acting like absolute fucking lunatics. Again, we talked a couple of weeks ago about cinema etiquette and there was none shown in this film. But... By the time, you know, her boyfriend comes back and sits next to her, she realizes it's not him right as like the Casey proxy on screen is being killed. So the audience is going crazy as she's realizing that her boyfriend is not her boyfriend. She's covered in blood and then she gets stabbed in the belly. And as she tries to like get out of the cinema and get help, she like climbs up on stage in front of the screen and people you you know you hear sydney say it later people thought it was a publicity stunt no one helped her and jada pinkett smith's performance in that scene alone as she's like howling and crying and everyone is just staring at her is truly one of the most harrowing things i've ever seen in on screen
2: yeah it's actually it's really awful and but it's also when he gets stabbed in the through the toilet cubicle
3: wall yeah. oh my god through the ear is a bad way to go
2: yeah between scream and like the first season of twin peaks i i was very scared
3: to go into public toilets for a long time but yeah scream 2 like that's just one of the i feel like the murder set pieces in scream 2 are very stylish like obviously starting with jada um and then there's that scene where Dewey and Gale kind of reconnect and are watching through the video footage because they realize that the killer has been filming them this whole time. And they're in like a classroom and they realize the killer is there and he chases them through this, these soundproof Mm. rooms, like editing suites, I guess. And they can't hear each other. And so they don't, she doesn't hear when he gets stabbed. She just sees him up against the glass. And like, that's truly such a terrifying sequence and then there's Jerry O'Connell playing Sydney's boyfriend in Scream 2 and he has like this very like kind of on the nose greek tragedy ending to his story um which kind of leads into our our final showdown with the killers they also switched the knives for guns in that big finale like yeah, there's a lot that. of shooting going on in Scream 2
2: Yeah, there is, and I didn't feel they needed to to ratchet that up. I mean, I guess they had to get away from, like, as the stab was presented in stab vision at the beginning of scream Two. i guess they were trying to get away
3: from that but yeah it becomes way more shooty as the series
2: progresses yeah.
3: well i mean like the thing that's made michael myers so scary is that he had to be up close he had to be like near you with a kitchen knife it's and the first two
2: are very gory um mm. and then by the time you get to scream four it's like you're seeing entrails again but scream three is a lot less violent, and that was because it was uh, essentially because of Columbine that they decided to oh. take it the violence level down a little bit. And, you know, like the Scream films, like in the first t- two at least, they talk quite a bit about like, you know, and like Scream 2 is essentially entirely a copycat killer murder, m- murders, um, and by Scream 3 coming out there were quite a lot of real-life copycat murders um right. and um yeah quite distressing scenarios uh where teenagers were actually blaming scream for what they had done or mm. alleging that that or saying that that was what they were inspired to do it was being used a lot in court at that time so i mm-hmm. think that scream 3 is a really different look at everything and i think that that is quite remarkable and makes me like scream 3 i'm not a scream
3: 3 hater um I mean, look, let's just say it, Kevin Williamson didn't write it, he was like, by that point, he had gone so far past Scream, he was now like making Dawson's Creek, was doing all this other stuff. So like Aaron Kruger was like a new screenwriter at the time, he took the reign. So it it, it sounded and felt different because it was like... It wasn't all the same guys. It wasn't all our guys.
2: Yeah. And Scream 3... Like, tell me about, like, why you like Scream 3 so much, B.L.
3: Okay. I like Scream 3 predominantly because of Parker Posey and also because... Fair, fair. Yes. She's so funny. Like, her playing a damsel in distress but also trying to be Gail Weathers, who is a straight-up bitch with those... The bangs in Scream 3, I think, are, like, iconic camp... Um, Can I just say and-
2: I love Parker Posey so much? But outside of like Hal Hartley and Christopher Guest films, it is like she is in a different film every time to every single other person on set, including in Scream Three. Always, yeah.
3: <laughs> She's kind of like the the uh, the version of that from earlier in the in the trilogy is. Henry Winkler feels like that in Scream One to me. He is <laughs> totally. in an absolutely different film where, like, principals like can touch their young female students' arms a bit too much, and also like swear at kids. Anyway,
2: <laughs> yeah, and over the loudspeaker is like, you "Remember, your principal loves you." <laughs> like, he's <laughs> totally different. Yeah, I didn't have a principal like that. No, he's thank kind God. Of, he's sort of like it's a precursor to his role in Barry almost.
3: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. It's the, it's the middle ground between the Fonz and, and Barry. <laughs> um, I mean, I like, I like Scream 3 because of the way it plays with those genres, you know, it's like, it's the, the gang goes to Hollywood. It's still, it's more horror, I think, than like the slashery pre previous films. Like I've, I've told you this off mic, but the sequence where Sydney is having a nightmare about her mother coming to the window mm. and, being like come to mother sydney like that's i genuinely watch that between my hands to this day i can't look at the screen when that's happening because it terrifies me so much i wrote in my notes horror of the ghost mama <laughs> <laughs> you know the jay and silent bob cameo <laughs> yeah that's pretty good it's always going to be funny that they think gail weathers is connie fucking Chung. Heather Matarazzo joining the cast as Randy's sister. Pretty good. Being like, and Gail's like, who the fuck is this? And then she goes, we miss you in Woodsboro, guys. I'm like, do you? (laughs) Um, And like Carrie Fisher, like the cameos by the time they got to Scream 3 were just incredible. But also, I mean, look, clearly the the storyline where there's this one, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? this one like evil genius conspiring to create all of this drama. He got into Stu and Billy's heads years ago. He's the reason that all of this, this happened because he and Sydney are half siblings. Obviously that was a retcon down the line, but also they tied up enough loose ends and like created enough of a like cohesive story that by the time Scott Foley is like dead and holding Sydney's hand, I was like, that's her half-brother. She is now free. And the final moment where she is walking her dog back at her... That was just a hay fever sniffle. It's not me working <laughs> myself up. Although I have cried at the very end of Scream 3 before. Because, A, I fully believe the chemistry between Dewey and Gail throughout the entire series. But when he proposes to her at the end of Scream 3 and they had just got married in real life. Um, and then Sydney walks in the door... And instead of locking it several times, setting an alarm, you know, having drawers full of mace and guns, she leaves the door unlocked. She walks into the next room and she hears the door blow open. And she just, there's just this lingering shot of an open door and Sydney looks at it. And then she turns away and walks away because she's not scared anymore. Like that truly is one of the most beautiful moments to me in like it gives me so much closure for her a character that i love so much and it is just like a beautiful end to this story which is like another reason why i find them kind of like bringing those three back the the core cast of nev campbell courtney cox Nee arquette and david arquette bringing them back again in four and five I, like i see i see nev campbell on screen now and i go she's been through enough like, don't, don't put Sydney through this again. Our girl, our final girl. But let's talk about Scream 3. Like, what, what, what's your, what's your vibes on the film?
2: My, okay. My issue. <laughs> it's okay. It's
3: okay that you don't like it. It's okay that you don't like it. I promise I don't My mind. My issues
2: start early on. And I think that that's where they stay is that the like cold open of Scream 3 is bad. Like, I don't care at all about those characters um you know we get like Lief Schreiber and like that's all fine he's become like this Hollywood guy who like you know has like hit talk show kind of guy espousing all this like bullshit essentially just making money which is what he always wanted and fame and fortune but the killing of his girlfriend at the beginning of Scream 3, I can't remember the actor's name, it just is nothing to me. Like, it's just like, okay, like, we've seen this all before. She's just, like, the least interesting, I suppose. So I think mm. that the setup was trying to do so much, like, r- like changing the location um, and the vibe of the whole thing. Like, it's not in any way... Funny, like it's not chatty funny, and the beginning of Scream 2, as hideous as it is, it's really quite funny and chatty. Uh, there's a lot going on, Mm. so I feel that with Scream 3, the tone of it is off from the start, and I think it's near impossible to come back from that. And I really think it's because of the writer, it's because it was a completely different writer, and like there's a lot of meta fun stuff that happens. From that point, and I really enjoy like the cast of you know the Woodsboro Murders. You know Parker Posey, obviously adore Sydney is like it's kind of weird and great. Um, I love her so much. So it was very cool once I realized that it was her because I didn't, I don't like it didn't click when I first saw it. Um, and Jenna McCarthy, whatever. Uh, Patrick Dempsey, great. Like everyone in this film is really good, but it just never kind of gets over its own sense of being clever, whereas I think the first two are really clever films and I feel like this one is trying really hard to be clever and it just doesn't quite do enough. Like I had a good time watching it, but I was saying to Mm -hmm. you that I watched the first I scream one and scream two back to back last week, um, in preparation for this, and also just to have a good time by myself, you know. <laughs> and then I started watching Scream three, but it was like <laughs> not, like twelve thirty in in the morning, and it just like it wasn't clicking for me. And I was like, no, I really need to see this film on its own terms. And I went back and watched it a few days later,
3: and still had that still had that sense. You're kind of right, like that That opening with Cotton Weary and his girlfriend, who I believe is the mum from Gossip Girl. Um, yes, that makes sense. Kelly Reichardt? not Kelly Reichardt. No, Kelly. Kelly, Kelly someone. Look, I wish Kelly Reichardt was oh in this God. movie. That's a really funny slip of the tongue. Scream um, 6 by Kelly Reichardt. <laughs> that would be phenomenal. Um Yeah, you're right. It's kind of similar to what, what I was saying about Hocus Pocus 2 a few weeks ago where it's like, that needed to be a bigger cameo similar to Scream One and Two, which is weird that it's not in a film so packed with cameos and like as you were just as you were just talking about your feelings about Scream Three, it did really make me realize that by the time the the core group has just whittled down to Sydney on her own, she has no friends or partner anymore. Gail and Dewey are kind of separated and they're feuding for most of the film, which is fun um. But your core group then are just a bunch of actors. And mm. so it's really different from, you know, even, for example, Scream 2, where we get like Randy and Dewey hanging out at the coffee shop and like Sydney with her boyfriend and a group of friends. Like there's not a whole lot of familiarity or like connection between the characters. And so it is just relying on you already caring about a few of them as Mm. the rest of them just get, like, taken out one by one.
2: It's more interesting to me than enjoyable, I suppose, is the thing. And I think it is, like, a lot of think pieces came out about Scream 3, like, Justice for Scream 3 in the uh, years following, like, Weinstein and Me Too. And that is all really good and interesting. And I think, like, yeah, actually that screenwriter was trying to do something with this film by... Uh, you're talking about like what actresses had to go through, like in the casting on the casting couch, etc. Um, and there's like a lot about Sydney's mother in this and what she had to do. And you got Carrie Fisher making jokes about the real Carrie Fisher having to sleep with George Lucas to get the part of Princess Leia. Like there's a lot going on, and there are a lot of layers about. Princess Leia's about like <laughs> the kind of sexual assaults and microaggressions that happen for women in the industry in Hollywood. Like that, all of that stuff is really, is really good, really interesting. But unfortunately for me, the whole, the film as a whole is
3: not mm. enough. Mm. Yeah, there has, you're right. There was a lot of stuff kind of framing this movie as like the, the story about Harvey Weinstein that like happened under his nose. Cause like Miramax famously was the production company on all three of these films um and yeah the the character of John Milton, who is the big Hollywood producer of Scream Three, it's like the guy who you know becomes like a almost like a sub villain in this film when they get him to confess what he did to Sydney's mother when she was Rena Reynolds, this like aspiring actress. Before she moved back to Woodsboro, it's also significant to think of Rose McGowan's role in these films in that line. Absolutely. Absolutely. She became famous kind of off the back of Scream. A few years later, she was in Jawbreaker. So, like, teen queen dating Marilyn Manson, who, I mean, she didn't have an easy ride, I guess, but she is one of um, Weinstein's accusers. She um, alleged that he raped her in a hotel room. Um, but she also just like a, another element of this is that in her book, she described, and this is, I'm quoting an article from the independent. She described the set of scream as one of the last times she felt truly happy in Hollywood. She said the set was like a refuge for her. And that Wes Craven specifically was, she said, a special and complex man. He treated us actors like his equals. It was a very special environment. He was so kind, a true gentleman, I thought all my movies with big directors were going to be like this one and I was wrong. Um, And Craven, we haven't really talked about Wes Craven, but, you know, he was resistant to make these films. He kind of had to be really talked into it.
2: Yeah, I read um, that some of the scripts uh, didn't have a lot of information in them about, like, certain scenes or, like, what had to happen and some of the annotations were just things like, Wes Craven will make it scary. (laughs) Like okay. Sure. And he does.
3: He does. Okay, we haven't talked about the star of the trilogy, Debbie Salt, played by Laurie Metcalf in Scream 2. <laughs> I thought
2: you were going to say the use of Nick Cave's red right hand, which oh, I mean that's a
3: character in and of itself. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Laurie Metcalf just like bless her. She is I guess I she's Unlike any other actor, I just adore her. Those eyes, the beady eyes. Oh, she's so good in this. Um, I mean, I think it's a kind of a dumb reveal, to be honest, in Scream Two of who she is and what she is. But she's had like an <laughs> immense plastic surgery. <laughs> <laughs> so silly, but wow! Just love like the second that she um, she comes on and is kind of feebly interrogating Gail Weathers. It's just, you're like, oh, she's someone, she's going to do something big. And Gail calls her like local,
3: listen here, local woman or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I loved that. Because in Gail's world, everyone is a fan of hers. Mm-hmm. I mean, they it's, should be. They should be, I am. Yeah. Um. But yeah, Debbie Salt is incredible. Um. Watching her and Sid kind of have their showdown is great. There's also like... Cotton Weary obviously plays a bigger his biggest part in Scream Two, and he shoots Debbie Salt because <laughs> Sid promises an on screen interview with the two of them and Diane Sawyer, which is all Cotton wants because he's a f- so fame hungry. And I kind of think that we should have been able to see that. Like, I want to see the the Diane Sawyer cotton-weary Sidney Prescott interview. That should have been in Scream 3.
2: Yeah, that should have been the opener of Scream 3. And then, you know, yeah, someone someone dies. Like, that is, yeah. that's Scream 3. The cast, I know I've said it before, but it is really epic. Like, <laughs> we've got Heather Graham, we've got Luke Wilson, you know, Timothy Olyphant and, like, Joshua Jackson, who will always be Pacey to me, but... Always? The- across
3: the creek. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah, he didn't, he didn't ever get the, he didn't do Michelle Williams, you know, like she, she crossed the creek. But yeah, it's just, um, it really was exciting for me to rewatch this. <laughs> it was like, seeing all my old friends again.
3: Luke Wilson's head. Oh my God. It's so bad when he's playing Billy Loomis. Oh God. There are some other kind of like incredible um, cameos in the, Scream 1, my favorite of which, and I didn't even realize this, the other day I was filming my TV as this scene happened and I posted it on Twitter. It's after Sydney is first attacked and she's arriving at school with Tatum, her best friend, played by Rose McGowan. And, um, you know, Deputy Dewey drops them off and is like, you're going to be safe here. You're at school. And all of a sudden this woman, this like local news reporter runs up and is like, how does it feel to get slashed? How, it, how does it feel? The people do have a right to know. And that character uh, is c- credited as obnoxious reporter played by uncredited cameo Linda Blair from The Exorcist. Oh my God, that's good trivia. I had no idea. I know. I put it on my Twitter and was just like, she served. And I'm now realizing that it was fucking Reagan from The Exorcist. Wow. Oh, wow. I need to watch that afresh. Head screwed on straight for once. Can I ask you a question? I have just described in great detail how much the final moments of Scream 3 mean to me when Sydney is like good and at peace. But I did have a thought watching this movie, and I'm going to posit it to you. Should Sydney have died in Scream 3?
2: No, I don't think she should have because she is our final girl, and it's nice to have her at the end of Scream 3. However,. I think that the series should have stopped at Scream 3 as it was already right, like it was always intended to be a trilogy and the first three films constantly make jokes about it being a trilogy and like what a trilogy does in the horror horror world and what each film represents and it would have been quite neat even though I don't love Scream 3 but no I don't think she should have died but by the time you get to Scream 4 and she's like Dealing with her shitty cousin, um, Emma Roberts. Emma Roberts? Yeah, Emma Roberts. Mm-hmm. She, you're just like, Sydney, fuck, g- g- get out. Like, you shouldn't be here. You shouldn't be in Woodsboro. Don't worry about this cousin who's having a hard time. Like, mm. get out. Treat yourself, girl. Go to the spa or something. But, yeah, I don't think she should have died. I think that we should have just... I don't know. Like even if it was fully rebooted in a way that she just she's not around anymore. We don't know where Sydney is. That makes sense yeah. to me.
3: Do you think she should have died? Well, there was just that moment where, you know, they have the video message from Randy where he's like if you're watching this it means that the killer got me mm. in Scream 2. And that's another reason why I I love this trilogy because Randy is part of the core group yeah, as far too. as I'm concerned. And he gets um, one
2: of the best lines when he's asked what his favorite scary movie is. And his answer is Showgirls. It is one of the best things to happen in any
3: of the Scream films. He's so good. Oh, my God. Jamie Kennedy. He read the script for the first time on his elliptical, which I love. (laughs) But he, you know, he has that moment where he's explaining, like, if you're watching this, it means that we're in a trilogy not a sequel that means ghosts from the past it means bigger kills it means the the killer can be superhuman and they he said it means that anyone can die including you Sid and just the fact that we come out of Scream 3 with the core trio of Gale, Dewey and Sydney intact I feel like they weren't it wasn't like making good on Randy's rules almost
2: yeah I mean maybe that's why Scream 4 and 5 weren't so good I'd <laughs>
3: Yeah, well, I'm not going to spoil what happens in Scream 5, but I will tell you, you were talking before about, like, them rebooting it, and by Scream 5, they just kept saying a word that I hope to never hear again in my life, which is, requel? Oh, no. Yeah. I thought you were going to say, (laughs) cancelled. I fucking wish.
2: (laughs) Woke moment. Um, (laughs) But, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> recalls bad make a scream with shade ds in it i think that is and just like that <laughs> it, it exists babe <laughs> i don't really have any see also for scream apart from imploring everyone to rewatch these films because they're still so good i suppose Watching Emily Mortimer in this reminded me of how much I loved her TV show Doll and M and that would be a C also for me. me too. I feel like that will come up at some point on C also anyway because uh, that show is so good. But And I know that we're in like the spooky season, but it's
3: uh,
2: October doesn't need to be the only spooky month of the year and Scream 2 set in like the, the scenes in the sorority houses and the fr- frat houses Remind like obviously the they were taking quite a lot of inspiration from Black Christmas and it made me really want to rewatch Black Christmas it's one of the best I think it is the best like Christmas horror films ever made I'm not talking about the remake from a few years ago which wasn't very good unfortunately Um, but yeah, the original is so good. It's quite hard to find, but it is worth finding. And there are like whole sequences from Scream 2 that really kind of put me back in that film.
3: Oh, cool. I love a sorority, sorority murder movie. Lala from Vanderpump Rules was in one a few years ago. Anyway, I have a few see also. I mean, I'll link those, um, oral histories and that piece about, um, Rose McGowan's book in the show notes, as well as some of the truly insane shit that Drew Barrymore did on her show to promote these movies, including when she had um, Nev Campbell, David Arquette, and Courtney Cox on to promote the most recent Scream. We're calling it Scream 5. It's called Scream, but it's Scream 5. Um, Does it have a five somewhere in the lettering? It has no fives in it. <laughs> It's like the Halloween brackets 2018 and then it's just scream brackets 2022. Um, Um, But she had them on her show and it was a Zoom interview and it's the most fucking awkward shit you've ever seen in your life. They were going through hell promoting this film, I don't know, in general or just with Drew Barrymore. But her first question to each of them is, what was your worst habit making this movie? And David Arquette opens and says drinking and Courtney Cox's (laughs) face is dark when he says that it is a a, not a great interview I'll just say that I've got a one last C also
2: for Scream and that is the Final Girls podcast the Final Girls is a UK cinematic collective uh out of London and they do lots of events over there like screening events and it's comprised from a number of like film critics and festival programmers but this podcast in particular like takes these deep dives into different tropes of horror films it's really
3: funny and interesting and my last one is kind of a a reference to an episode we did ages ago about search party remember in season three or four of search party where cola scholar's character had all these little dolls that looked like the cast of the show they were made by this uh, person whose Instagram handle is Guy 88 I'll put his handle in the show notes, and he is an absolute Scream head. He has made really incredible versions of Sydney from all three films, and he made this bust of Sydney specifically in Scream 3 where she's wearing the Greek letters from Jerry O'Connell's character around her neck, and I tried to buy it. It was like 300 American dollars, and I was like, bargain but he couldn't figure out shipping to Australia. So I never ended up getting it, but I looked at his profile and he's got even more Scream and Halloween and like all different pop culture gals on there. Thanks so much for listening to uh, this spooky little poodle. Um, We would love it if you left us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and a review. It really does help people to find the podcast and we really are keen to reach more people um you can follow us on instagram at see also podcast and share this episode with your scream head friends yeah and get in touch ever catch yourself eating the
1: same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer